All right, today we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 10, part of Hebrews chapter 10. And since we're kind of jumping kind of in the middle of the context here, let me kind of catch you up quickly before we look at a specific text. Please understand that the overall theme of the book of Hebrews is the superiority of Jesus Christ. That's that's the whole point of the book, showing that Jesus is the best. He's the best in every way. He's, in fact, it, it shows he's better than anything that, you know, that was before. He's better than Old Testament persons. Few of them are named in here. He's better than uh, the Old Testament institutions. He's better than Old Testament rituals. He's better than the Old Testament sacrifices. He's better than the angels. He's better than Melchizedek. And it goes on and on and on. Christ is better than anyone, and he's better than anything. That's the point of Hebrews. And so they ta- you know, it's taken 10 chapters to prove that point. And so now you kind of come to Hebrews chapter 10 here, and, and we're, we, we've come to a turning point. In fact, if you look at verse 19, the very first word in my Bible, Hebrews 10, 19, is therefore. And that's, that's showing a great turning point as the writer of Hebrews is turning from explaining the superiority of Christ over everything and now he's going to apply that glorious truth to our lives. Well, particularly the Hebrews, but there's certainly application uh, for us as well. And so the shift can be stated in various ways. Uh, it could be described as going from doctrine to duty. Uh, you, you could say it's, it's theology to practice. It's going from creed to your conduct. Those are various ways you could say what's going on here. There's instruction in the first part, and the last part of Hebrews is now the exhortation, what am I going to do with this truth? So the Holy Spirit wants us to know how Christians ought to live. And so I couldn't think of a better pastoral challenge for you today as I'm going to be away now a few weeks. What, what do I want you to know and do if I you know... If God should do this to me and I never come back, you know, for some unforeseen reason, what what do I want to challenge you with? Well, this is what the Holy Spirit's laid on my heart. And so this passage is going to help us understand what it means to encourage one another. It includes the primary means for this process of encouraging one another. We're going to see the various goals. There's several commands here we'll look at. And then what is the setting? So that's where we're going. So if you look at verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, this, this brief word here, this statement with the therefore is important. The author is really summarizing both Jewish and Christian history. Remember, this is written to Hebrews. That's why it's called the book of Hebrews. And so you can see in the Old Testament, God established a covenant with his people, and it was based on a sacrificial system. It was, and, and that sacrificial system was administered by human priests. You can read all about that in places like Leviticus. It's all about the, the Levites and what they were supposed to do with this system that God had given to them. And so he instructed them, as we read in chapter 9, they were to build a tabernacle. Later, a temple was built to replace the tabernacle. And the temple was very similar in instruction. It was something that was very elaborate. As we read in chapter 9, there was various uh, sections in the tabernacle and the temple. 
And there was, there was even a place, the Holy of Holies, that one person was allowed to go. The, the high priest was only allowed in there one time a year, the Day of Atonement. But as we see in Hebrews, Jesus is superior to that. And when Jesus died, the Bible says that the veil in the temple was ripped in two. A new covenant was instituted in Christ. And no longer doing, we don't need a human priest. We have Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And he's our mediator, our, our go between, our advocate between us and God. So, with kind of that, that little context for us, let's read our text together in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. These first few verses, the Holy Spirit is giving us the, the means or the resources for encouraging one another. How, how is this even possible? Well, there's two wonderful privileges. The first one is there in, in verse 19. We, we see that Christians have access to enter into the presence of God. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> Especially if you remember the, the context written to Hebrews, their, their thinking was, wait a minute, uh, one person is allowed into God's presence only one time a year. You, you mean I get to enter into God's presence because of Christ at any time? Wow, that's, that's a wonderful privilege, because verse 19, you, he's talking to these brothers, these fellow Hebrews, and he, he says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. What a wonderful privilege God has given to all Christians. We have access to God because, notice, it's because of our mediator, it's because of Jesus who is crucified in our place. What interesting... Uh, uh, analogy or, or an illustration there. It's, it's the tearing of Jesus' flesh on the cross, and that coincided with the tearing of that curtain in the temple. That was what barred the way to the Holy of Holies, but God removed that thing that barred people from His presence. So now we can walk confidently through the torn curtain of Christ into the presence of of God the Father. So Christians have access now to enter into the presence of God. That's a wonderful privilege. But it doesn't stop there. There's a second one in verse 21. We see that Christians have the high priest over the house of God. There's one high priest. His name's Jesus. Verse 21 says, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So just kind of laying this foundation of why? What do we have? What means and resources do we have for encouraging one another? Well, it's 
because we have a high priest over the house of God. So, we have a dual source of confidence here. A dual source of confidence. Jesus is both the curtain as, as well as described as the priest. In other words, what I'm saying is he's, he is our access to God as well as our advocate, our, our mediator, our go-between. He's both. And so when Jesus Christ came into the world, the Bible says he established a new covenant, and this new covenant is based, as it says in verse 19, it's based on the blood of Jesus. In other words, Jesus died on your behalf. He was your substitute. And then Jesus rose again, conquering Satan and and death and sin. And he became the perfect sacrifice for sin. And so no, no longer do we need to do what these Hebrews had done for centuries. We don't need an, an earthly priest. We don't need to be bringing all these animal sacrifices and shedding their blood because we got Christ, our great high priest. Do you know what this means, though? I mean, have you really thought about that a lot? I hope you do. Because now we can enter into God's presence and we can do it without fear. We can do it without fear, because if you dared to enter, if you lived in Old Testament time period, if you dared to enter into the Holy of Holies, and you weren't the high priest, you should have great fear. (laughs) You're not going to come out alive. We don't have to fear rejection, we don't have to fear death, because the way has been opened for us because of Christ. We have the high priest over the house of God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says that there's only one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. It's cool in that verse, it shows that the, the deity and humanity of Christ, two natures in one person forever, and, and, and because he is, he is that, then we, we have this access. Well, how... How do we enjoy such privileges? What what is the way by which we enjoy these kind of privileges? Well, we've already touched on these, but again, let me highlight. Notice in, in verse 19, it's by the death and the blood of Christ. It's only because of what Christ has done can we possibly enjoy this confident access to God. But it's also through the life and the ministry of Christ. Christ had to live the perfect life for you as well. He fulfilled the law which you and I could never do. John 16, verse 6 says that Jesus is the only way. You can't come to the Father except through Him. But the Bible also here says that this is a new way. In verse 20, it's a new and a living way that He's opened for us. In other words, it's a completely new situation. It's a a new way. It's it's different from the old way that we see in the Old Testament. You don't need a human priest because you have the great high priest. It's also a living way because the Bible describes Christ as living. He is not only the way, but He is the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Him. So Christ is living, but it's, it's a way that Christ has consecrated for us, and it was done, notice, it's through His body. And so that's, that's the way that any Christian can enjoy these wonderful privileges of, of even having any access at all to God. 
Well, because of that, we have some uh, commands that are mentioned here. They're, these are duties that are binding upon Christians because of these privileges that we just looked at. And the, the commands come to you, some have called this the lettuce patch. <laughs> the lettuce patch. You'll see there's, there's three lettuces that are found in this text. And that's kind of highlighting the three commands that we need to look at. These are the duties. These are the commands that God wants us to obey based on these privileges. The first duty that God wants you to obey is He wants you to draw near to Him. God wants you to draw near to Him. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The second command is in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And the third command is in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So first of all, you'll see there in verse 22, God is calling us to draw near to Him. Now how is that even possible? Well, He tells us how it's possible in the text. Notice that we are to draw near to God with a true heart. You see that? It's a true heart. The idea is there, you are sincere in the inner man. You are not hypocritical. You are what you really are. And, and so this calls for genuine devotion rather than someone who is, who is filled with hypocrisy. God wants you to be genuine. He wants you to be real. You, you can't approach Him and be hypocritical. And number two, it says you, you, you draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Faith. The, the idea is you're coming with, with trust and belief. It it demands a bold confidence that God has provided full access into His presence, and that was done through Christ alone. Do you believe that? Because God says you come with full assurance. It's not a, you know, it's 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 not you know, kind of just slowly stepping forward. You ever seen someone? You're not, they're not they're not quite sure, you know, and they're kind of sneaking up because they're fearful of what might happen. Maybe your children do that. Or your grandkids, they're, they're, and they're just slowly reaching out because they don't have full assurance. They're, they're afraid. God says, don't do that. You, you come in full assurance, full trust. God's, God's not opening His hand up to you and say, come to me. And then, and then when you start putting your hand in His, he, He's not going to do that. He's not going to get you. No, you come in full assurance of faith. Well, how do we get faith? Well, God gives us faith, and the Bible says that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So we can come in full assurance of faith because hopefully you know God's Word. You've, you've seen His promises. You know the way God is, the way He's described Himself to be. And, and because of what He says here, I can come this way. But notice the text also says we come with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience cleansing of our hearts here refers to the satisfaction of God's justice. God's justice must be appeased. God doesn't overlook sin. And so this is 
This is required before we can actually be acceptable to him. God will not allow sin into his presence. And so this phrase gives us a beautiful picture of deliverance from guilt. The problem is, you see, our consciences condemn us. Our consciences are there like that warning light on the dashboard of your car saying, fix me, fix me. Hey, I got a problem you need to address. God made your conscience. And so if you, by the way, if you continually ignore the warning light on the dashboard of your car, what's going to happen? Eventually your car is going to break down, won't it? You're going you're to have a massive problem. The, the engine's going to blow up or, you know, uh, you know something bad's going to happen. And <clears throat> sometimes we do that with our consciences, and our consciences can be seared. And, but we shouldn't ignore them. God made your conscience. It, it's, it's condemning us. It's reminding us of our guilt. Hopefully it's going to drive us to Christ because He's the one who's going to deal with our guilty conscience. And so that guilt can't be removed until sin is removed. And so our hearts are, can be sprinkled clean from an evil conscience because of God's work in us. But again, notice the text goes on to say, we, yes, you need to draw near to God, but this is only possible because of God's work in us. But it's, it's cool, that next phrase, it talks about our bodies washed with pure water. Now, that's not referring to baptism, by the way. It has to do with our living with how the Holy Spirit changes us. How are you going to live with how the Holy Spirit changes? The idea here is, is God is continually setting you apart from sin unto Himself. It's sanctification. He's sanctifying us. It's, it's the same kind of cleansing you see in other places of Scripture. For example, in Titus 3.5, where it talks about we are washed. Uh, it's the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's that same idea that you see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. It says we are washed in the Word of God. So the Word is truth. It's going to wash us. We are transformed as we are renewed by the Spirit. And so here's the point, my friends. It's because the Holy Spirit is changing us on the inside that we're able to come into God's presence with confidence. That's the only way. So our first duty that is binding upon Christians is that we are to draw near to God. Number two, the second duty that is binding upon you is that you're to hold fast the confession of hope. Look at verse 23. That's, that's a command. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Some of you might be looking at a, a, a Bible translation that says faith there. I think the word hope is a better translation for that particular text. In fact, even if, even those, it was interesting, some of the Bible translations that use faith, uh, most of the time translate that same Greek word as hope. In fact, uh, for example, I know the KJV translates in that text, it uses faith, but over 50 times it uses the same Greek word as hope. That's why I like what the ESV has done there in that text, and it has been consistent and used the word hope. So what is the duty? A Christian is to maintain spiritual consistency. So this is, I tell you, as your pastor, this is one of my great concerns. 
is that you maintain spiritual consistency. Hopefully, hopefully your hope, your faith, is, is not built on a person. It's not built on a church. It's not, certainly not built on me. But there, there's a spiritual consistency and a strong endurance in your life. No matter when, when the, the circumstances of life change, you continue to, to, to have this, this confidence and this, uh, well, as verse 23 says, this confession. And you're holding fast to this confession. See, a Christian is to embrace all the truths and the ways of the gospel. And you're to, and you're to keep doing that, by the way. You're to keep holding on against temptations and, and trials, testing, opposition, false teachers. Now, do you see that the Christian's hope here has substance? It's not a, well, I, I, I hope so. No, this is a confidence. It's an assurance. This hope is actually, in fact, it's looking back previously in the book of Hebrews, to particularly Hebrews chapter 6, which says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place being the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Well, that's a wonderful passage. We have a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul. Well, that's Jesus. That's what he's done for you. So, my friend, you need to maintain spiritual consistency. But what is the manner in which we must hold fast? How are you? Are, are you to be wavering? Swerving around like some, some drunk person on the road? No, it's, it's without wavering. Notice, you see that? Without wavering. You're to hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. In other words, hold on to Christ and never let go of Christ. He is the rock. He's that, that, that anchor of your soul that Hebrews 6 says. Now, how can a believer have that kind of unwavering hope? How can anybody have that kind of unwavering hope? Because, boy, there's a lot of people who would love to be that way, feel that way. The only way is, is because of what the text says, that God is faithful. God is faithful. He's the only one who is faithful, by the way. And so he's going to provide strength. He's going to provide the stamina for you to endure. No matter what, what comes into your life, you'll be able to endure it. So the first duty that's binding upon Christians is that you are to draw near to God. Number two, verse 23, you're to hold fast the confession of your hope. And then the third one is found in verse 24. You're, <clears throat> you're to encourage one another toward love and good works. God wants you to not be an island unto yourself, but to, to be a blessing to other people, if you will. Encourage one another. And notice it's, it's toward love and good works. God calls us to be responsible to other people. Now, you may not like that concept, but that's what God calls you and I to do. And it's not just for leaders, by the way. That's for every Christian. And so this command is demanding concentrated attention. It, the goal of this attention, by the way, is God wants you to spur or stir. <laughs> some, some Bible translations use spur. Right? You know, you ever seen like the old Western movies, for example? Those, the, the cowboys sometimes would have spurs on the back of their boots. Why would cowboys have spurs on their boots? It wasn't just for looks. 
It wasn't because it was the, the fashion of the day. That's not why they did that. They, they would use those things, you know, to spur the horse. Get that horse to move, go where they wanted to go. God's saying, you need to lovingly spur, stir one another, encourage one another to, to move in the right direction toward God and what he wants them to do. And so if you're a Christian, you have a corporate responsibility here. Public responsibility. We, we need to help others who are tempted to stumble. Help others who have faltered. Like, like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, sometimes there's wounded, there's wounded soldiers. And you get, like they would do in battle, you know, guy, their fellow soldiers come along and help carry them to the medic. Go, let's go see the doctor. You need some help here, brother. Concentrate on the needs of others. Well, this, the third major point we're going to look at has to, to do with, with uh, particularly, it's interesting, the, the goals of this process. The Bible uses this triad, these three things here, and it mentions faith, hope, and love. That's an interesting triad. So the goals for encouraging one another, what are they? What, what should happen to Christians when they actually meet together regularly? When they're encouraging one another, what should be happening in our lives? Well, number one, we should grow in our faith. We should grow in our faith, according to verse 22. If you're drawing near to God, you're going you're to grow in your faith. Christians should meet together for mutual encouragement so that we might grow in our faith. Your faith could be tempted to dwindle out like a fire, taking a coal out of a fire. You ever done that? You know, you might have all these coals in the fire, and the fire is going real good, and, and, and sometimes we do that. You can pull a coal out of the fire, and you set it over here by itself, and it quickly goes out and goes cold. And that's what hap- that, that, maybe that's what's happening to you. Maybe that's, that's what happens to Christians. They, they pull themselves out of the fire. They pull themselves out of corporate worship, and they go cold. Because they're, they're not with God's people like God had designed it to be. So faith is an, an essential ingredient in a relationship with God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that faith without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we need to gather together regularly to encourage one another to, to approach God in a way that's showing we actually trust Him for all the details of our life. So we should grow in our faith, number one. We should grow in our hope, according to verse 23. You need to understand hope is something that's a distinctive quality from faith, but it's also clearly aligned with faith. Often in the Scriptures, they go hand in hand. So hope is focusing on what a Christian believes. So that, That's your confession. Hold on to that. Hold on to Christ. Hold on to the gospel. Hold on to good, sound doctrine. Number three, we should grow in our love. We should grow in our love. See, mutual encouragement among members of the body in Christ should spur us, stir us to love and good works. See, I am, I am going to be more likely to obey God and please God with my life when you're doing that to me. And I'm hopefully I'm doing that to you. I'm spurring you and stirring you, encouraging you. 
But you need to understand that love is not automatic. Love's not automatic. If it were, why would the Bible exhort us over and over and over again to love one another? So we need to give careful thought as to how we can actually motivate each other to love and good works. We need to study each other, know, know how to, to do this, this in a loving way, practice the, the Christian virtues amongst ourselves. Well, number four, we should not only grow in our faith and our love and hope, but we need, we need to grow in our works. Verse 24 says that we consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You don't do good works to save yourself because you can't do that. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that you were saved for the purpose of good works. Bring God honor and glory. God wants you to do those good works for Him so that the world, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, you would be, you are a light for the Father's glory. And number five, we should grow in our provoking. We need to pray for each other by, by name, be, be specific, know each other, be intimately involved in each other's lives. We need to be open and honest with each other, be genuine, not fake. You realize we're all a mess. Okay? Too many churches, unfortunately, everybody comes and you know they, they dress up in their Sunday finest and they come and they act like it, they've got it all together and everyone's fine. And then, and then the one person who, who knows they're a mess, they come in on Sunday and they look around and they think, Man, everybody here's got it together. I don't, I, you know, I, what, what good is this for me? How is that helpful, right? If you all come recognizing you're just as much of a mess as I am, because I am a huge mess, I'm the greatest sinner I know, and if we're all genuine and open with each other, we can help each other, recognizing, hey, we're all on the same path together here, it, it, it's much more helpful, isn't it? We need to be a good example to each other. You probably heard it said, many things are caught instead of taught. You know, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your your walk talks louder than your talk talks, right? <laughs> Internalize the Bible. You know, allow God's Word to, to flow through you. Allow it to pickle you, to actually influence you. Be tra- transforming you, like Hebrews 12.2 says. And you can change a life sometimes just by the way you live, through what you say, through what you do. We could be provoking each other through those means. Now, in verse 20, I'll end with verse 25 here. What, what is the setting for encouraging one another? Did you notice, according to verse 25, the setting is actually the church? Corporate worship? Corporate worship is where God says you are to obey these commands. Verse 25 says, you are to not neglect the, the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, if you want to put God first in your life, you need to put the church first. God expects you to regularly, as often as possible, unless providentially hindered, of course, be meeting together with God's people to encourage them. Now, some, some would say, hey, well, can you be a Christian without going to church? Well, of course you can. <laughs> you could be a Christian without going to church, but you're not going to be a healthy one. You're not going to be a good one. I think it was Spurgeon 
who is, you know, he has funny ways of putting things sometimes. He's, he said, yes, it's possible. It's, it's kind of like a student who's not going to go to school. It's like a soldier who doesn't want to join the army. You know, he, he was using this analogy for, for a Christian who doesn't want to go to church. He doesn't want to meet with God's people regularly, and he doesn't want to assemble with them. It's, that's like a soldier who's not going to join the army, or a seaman on a ship without a crew, a businessman on a deserted island, an author without readers, a tuba player without an orchestra, a parent without a family, a football player without a team, a scientist who does not share findings, or a bee without a hive. None of those are good situations. Right? My, my concern is we've, we've, had, we've been very unhealthy as a congregation because of this. This is one of the reasons why. We have people neglecting to meet together to stir one another to love and good works. We're, we're not encouraging one another like we should be. Now, there is some of that going on. We praise God for that. Keep it up, okay? But let's, let's grow in this area. We can do better. We can do better. And so, true Christianity, of course, involves a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that is the starting point of this mutual encouragement. But it's, it's also a corporate experience. Have, have you noticed all these calls to worship we, we read together on Sunday mornings, how, how most of them are they have plural pronouns. Have you ever noticed that? In the Psalms, it's, it's we, us, you in the plural sense. We are doing this corporate worship together. So this highlights something for us then, that Christians cannot grow as they ought to if, if we isolate ourselves from one another. We need to stay together for mutual encouragement. And by the way, notice it's as the day draws near, you, it, this should become even more of a conviction in your life. The day of Jesus' return is getting closer and closer. It's not. It shouldn't be. Hey, you know, <clears throat> that was great for these Hebrews way back in the first century, but you know, it's not so important for me. No, God's saying, as the day of Christ's return draws closer and closer, you ought to. It ought to be even more of a conviction. You say, well, why should I attend church services? What, what is the point in this? Well, I've got a rather huge list that I've accumulated over the years. Let me just share a few with you, okay? Here are some reasons for you not to miss church services, okay? Number one, there's a special presence of Jesus Christ when God's people gather together, right? Now, I don't want to be all airy-fairy on you here. That's not the point, but... But, but we meet Christ in a special way, if you will, in corporate worship. That doesn't mean you can't meet, meet Christ on your own in your own private worship. Of course you can. I, I do it every day, okay? And so can you. But there's, there is something I always look for. Sunday is my favorite day of the week. I look forward to it when, when we can have corporate worship. See, you, you, you're able to do things to me that I can't do on my own. It's one reason I love the BLT classes on Sunday nights. The fellowship has been so encouraging to me these last couple of years. And see, if you absent yourself from church, you're going to hinder your ability to glorify God in worship. Congregational worship makes possible an intensity of adoration that often doesn't occur in solitude, all by yourself. 
provides a context where passion is joyously elevated. God's Word ministers with a unique power. That's another reason. According to Ephesians chapter 3, giving up meeting together is going to restrict your theology. It's, it's going to restrict your, your doctrinal understanding of His Word. Great theological truths are best learned corporately. It says, with all the saints. That's what it says in the Bible. And so, according to Acts 2.42, one of the core activities of the local church is that, is that we are to, to meet together for the apostles' doctrine. That's theology. It's, it's done as we assemble together in church services. We can think about this, the glorious truths of Scripture. Number four, the development of the soul needs other Christians. You may not like that again, but that's the way God designed it. Uh, Let me just give you an example. The virtue of love needs others for its development. How is that supposed to grow and and flourish if you're all by yourself? It, It doesn't. The second greatest commandment is to love others. You can't do that by yourself. Number five, Christians cannot grow spiritually as they ought to in isolation from one another. There's a lot of one another commands in Scripture. Again, you cannot obey those one another commands by yourself. And so, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, God describes a church like a body. Each part of that body has to do its work. And if it's not, the body's not so healthy. It's going to hurt. And so when one part is absent, the whole body hurts. The Bible also says iron sharpens iron. If you have a piece of iron all by itself without the other piece of iron, it's not going to sharpen, is it? It doesn't sharpen itself by itself. right? It doesn't do that. It needs, needs something else to do that. So God says iron sharpens iron. So we need each other in that way as well. Ephesians 5 reminds us that Christ loved the church and died for her. Do you love what Christ loves? It's important to, if it's important to Christ, it should be important to us, shouldn't it? Another one is that <clears throat> there's a lot of things that are destroying our families in this world, and, and, and God has one of the purposes of the church is to help us. And so if you ignore the church, it's kind of hard to, sometimes it's very difficult to have a healthy family. We, we destroy our families in the process. The Bible also says we need instruction and protection that the church provides. According to Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, the church is like that that foundation and the pillars of truth. The Bible also says in Acts 2.42, another core activity is fellowship. Fellowship. It's it's a communion. It's It's a sharing with one another. You can't do that on your own. You can't obey God outside the context of a local church. Read the one another passages. Read, uh, read about the ordinances of the church. Again, Acts 2.42, one of the core activities has to do with the ordinances of the church. You're not obeying God if you're not practicing those with God's people. Well, I've got many more, but I'll just stop there for now. How can we apply this? All right, I just got three quick points. All right, 
This is as simple as I can make it. I hope you can remember this. Here's Here's what I want you to do with this text. Look to God. Look to others. Look to yourself. Look to God. Look to others. Look to yourself. Three points of application for you. Okay? Look to God, right? You are to draw near to God. All right? As your pastor, that is, that is my greatest concern for you, that you stay connected in, in vital, intimate communion with God. Never lay hold of Christ. Never let go of Christ. Never. Stay totally committed to Him. Love Him with all your heart. Number two, we see here that, according to verse 23, look to yourself, hold fast this confession of your hope. Firmly believe what you believe and and never let go of that. Don't let any false teachers tell you otherwise. Beware of those, those wolves that come in sheep's clothing. So look to yourself, my friends, okay? Guard your heart. Continually guard it. Be, be that, that watchman up on the wall who's, who's, who's always away, constantly watching for danger. Number three, look to each other. Look to each other. Don't just, don't just look to God. Of course, that's the most important. Look to yourself, but look to each other. Look out for others. Here's my encouragement, okay? It's in the church constitution. We have a, something in there called a covenant. And so I ask that you would be committed to that wholeheartedly to the Good News Baptist Church covenants. Let me just read the first three parts of the covenant to you, okay? Some of you, by the way, those of you who are members, you promised you would do this. You promised each other you would do this, and some of you need to recommit to this. All right? Some of you need to commit. You haven't even committed yet. All right? Here's what it says. I quote, We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That comes from Ephesians 4, verse 3. Would you commit to that? That's, that's from Scripture. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Right? One of the things that you see a lot in the epistles is, is the concern of, of the Holy Spirit for unity in the churches. A lot of churches split, destroyed, fall apart, have discord, disharmony. Praise God, at the moment, we're, we're, we're fairly unified by God's grace. I hope it stays that way, but you need to continue praying for that. And number two, second part of the, the church covenant says this, We will walk together in brotherly love, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another. Romans 12, verse 10. Would you commit to that? Again, that's from Scripture. Right? You're not committing to, to the words I say. You're committing to what Scripture says. And if you love Jesus Christ, He says you're going to, you're, you will keep His commandments. Walk together in brotherly love and all the things that go with that. You're going to look out for other people. You're going to be affectionate, caring about their needs, watching out for them, faithfully admonishing them and entreating them. They start straying off. <laughs> hey, brother. I, I, it looks like you need some help here. <laughs> Can I help you in some way? And number three, third part of the church covenant says this, we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We need some help in this department because we have, we have heaps of people who are missing Sunday school, most people. 
We got heaps of people who miss the Thursday nights, Bible studies. We got heaps of people who are missing other things that the church has going on. I understand some of you are providentially hindered sometimes, but that's not always the case. Not always the case. And unless you're providentially hindered, you're sinning against God. And so you need to, by the way, members, you committed to this. You would not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So that means you're to be here every time there's a corporate worship service, unless providentially hindered. Okay? I know that's not easy. There's, there's all sorts of things that make it difficult. Okay? I'm a family man. I know what that's like. Sunday mornings sometimes seem to be the times when Satan and my own indwelling sin, throw, they throw the whole bucket out at me. And so you know what you have to do to make Sunday morning? You say, God is the most important person and thing in my life. I'm going to be there unless I'm dead. You know, that's pretty much my attitude. My fam- nothing in my family is going to stop my family from attending corporate worship services. And so it's a priority, and it starts on Saturday. Sunday is, is, is that important to our family. You need to make it important to you. Whenever, the, whenever the God's people are meeting together, that should be so important. You say, everything else in my schedule gets pushed out of the way because God is number one. Would you, uh, this is something that's really concerned my family, really concerned me. One of the greatest problems we have is this, that we, we forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Would you be committed to this? Please, I beg, I urge. I've showed you the command. This is not an option, okay? Not an option. You are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. So the way you way you obey the command of encouraging one another is you meet with other believers. And you can't do that to all believers in the world. So God says, find one body and commit to that body. So I'm asking you to commit to this body, okay? If you, if you regularly attend this body, commit to this body. And say, I'm going to love that group of people. I'm going to stir them up to good works. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything in my power by God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to help them please God. That's what we need to do with one another. And if we do that, then we'll, we'll be all the more healthy for it. So, be a positive irritant. <laughs> be a positive irritant. 